Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Man, I couldn't wait for that bumper to be done so I could wish you all a happy Thanksgiving past and, a, and to be the first at LifePoint to say, Merry Christmas, everybody. I went out and I ordered some special Christmas vans just for this holiday season. But it is good to be back here, and I am so grateful for Pastor Mark and his leadership. As you know, this church, LifePoint, is built on two things, sharing Jesus and building believers. And our mission is to reach the next generation. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about a value that we need to be passing on to the next generation. And I want you to take some good notes. A lot of people seem hopeless today because they're basing their life on circumstances. And you heard that from Pastor Mark out of the book of Philippians a few weeks ago. And honestly, if I didn't have Christ in my life, I would be hopeless because there are a lot of problems in this world. But we, of all people, should be the most hopeful. Now this value of hope, God commands us to pass it on. We're in a season of life now where a lot of traditions are being passed on to the younger generation. Well, here is a value that God commands us to pass on. Take a look at Psalm 78, five through seven. He, that is God, commanded our ancestors to teach his word to their children so that the next generation might know them that they in turn might teach their own children. So each generation can set its hope anew on God. So each generation can set its hope anew on God. Now here is the question that we're going to ask and answer in this message. Why are we to be the most hopeful people of all? The simple answer to that is that we're not to base our hope on circumstances. We're not to base our hope on entertainers, though we had Dolly Parton at the AT&T Stadium. I'm telling you, that was so good. We're not to base our hope on entertainment. We're not to base our hope on sporting events, though the Texas Rangers are the world champions at baseball. Yes. We're not to base our hope on sport, sports figures. We're not to base our hope on politicians. No, our hope is to be based on something eternal. And today we're going to take a look at eight reasons that you and I never need to be hopeless. If you've been feeling a little down, doobie doo, down, down today because you ate so much turkey and that tryptophan is still coursing through your veins, you have chosen the right Sunday to be at church. Because I guarantee you this, after you leave here today, you are going to be filled with hope. Because you cannot look at what God has promised to do in you and through you and for you, both now and in eternity future, and not go, wow, what a great God we serve. Now we're going to answer this question. Why we're to be the most hopeful people out of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. But to understand Romans 8, you need to understand Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul shares his story. 
And as he does, he is hopeless. He is frustrated. He is confused. He feels trapped because his whole attention is on himself. In fact, within 12 verses, he uses uh, me, myself, or I 27 different times. And he is hopeless. But by the time he gets to Romans chapter 8, he's filled with hope because his attention is off of himself. And it is on what God has done and what God is doing in him through his spirit. And in Romans 8, he gives eight reasons that you and I never need to be hopeless. And the first one is this. I can live a life without condemnation. That means I'm forgiven. The first reason for hope that Paul mentions that brought hope to his soul is that I can live a life without condemnation. Now, the truth of the matter is none of us are perfect here. Folks, we all have flops, failures, and fumbles. We've all made mistakes. When I was on the cruise with my wife going to Norway, a transatlantic cruise, round trip, I asked my wife, Cheryl, if I was the only man on the boat, no one else, no woman is around, would I still be wrong? And she said, yes. The fact is, we all make mistakes, don't we? None of us live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And what that means is that we carry within us secret guilt. I wish that had never happened. We carry, and with that guilt comes shame. And what people do with the guilt and shame in their lives is oftentimes they take it out on themselves because people are a whole lot harder on themselves than they are on other people. The fact of the matter is when you violate your conscience, it keeps score and it finds to get a way to get even. Even though you might try to rationalize it, even though you might try to push it down, even though you try to deny it, you know that you've done wrong. And as a result, your conscience tries to sabotage your success. And Paul, right out of the gate, says there's no condemnation for those who are Christ's followers. This is an amazing thing because guilt and shame are hope killers. Take a look at Romans 8, verse one. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Does that mean after I become a follower of Christ that I never sin? No. That I never make mistakes? No. It just means this, that God's not mad at you anymore. You may sit there and think, well, why did you say that, Pastor George? Because a lot of people think that God is trying to get even with them for all the things that they have done in their past. When something happens that's maybe disastrous in their life, they think, I know what's going on, God's getting even. And let me just tell you this, that isn't God. That is your conscience holding on to it. Because the Bible says there is no condemnation. That word no in the Greek is the strongest negative in the Greek language. It means no there is no condemnation in a godzillion years. Why is that? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And when God looks at you, 
he says, case closed. The law has been satisfied. You're forgiven of all of them. And you may sit there and you may think, well, that doesn't, doesn't sound fair. Well, guess what? It's not fair. That's why it's called grace. It is a gift. And God looks at you and I who are followers of Christ and he says, the law's been satisfied. Case is closed. For God to punish you again for something that has already been punished. You know what that's called? It's called double jeopardy. Now, some of you out there think that that's a game. <laughs> but it's not. It is a legal term. Once a crime has been paid for, it can't be punished again. So why in the world would God punish you a second time? He wouldn't. And he doesn't. It's your conscience. Once you have been pardoned, no one can do anything about it. One of the most famous pardons in the world was when President Ford pardoned President Nixon. And a lot of people were upset about that. But there was nothing they could do about it. Pardon is a final word. And the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, no condemnation. God's not mad at you anymore. We don't only need forgiveness, but we need the power to change. And this is the second thing that builds hope. It is possible to live a life without domination. In other words, I'm set free to live the lifestyle that God wants me to live that I want to live. Now, the reality is that everybody is a slave to something. We are controlled by more things than what you and I realize. We are controlled by circumstances. We are controlled by politicians. We are controlled by our genes. We are controlled by the desires that we would like to get rid of and the habits that have got a hold of us. That is why Paul in Romans 7 says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And I end up doing the things that I don't want to do. This control, the Bible calls the law of sin and death. It is like spiritual gravity that holds you down, that causes you to feel stuck. Have you ever felt stuck before? Have you ever felt stuck in a relationship? Have you ever felt stuck in your marriage? Uh, with your family? Pastor George, I, I just feel stuck with my speech. I mean, I drop the F-bomb all the time and, and I really don't want to do it. I, I just can't change. And you know what I tell those people? I tell them, honestly, you can't. Because if you could, you would. But since you can't, you won't. You need God's power through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Look at Romans 8, verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, I have the power to break free from the things that control me. Well, what are those things, Pastor George? A anything. The power, the power to, to, to not fear death. The, the power to, to, fear, to live above the approval of other people. Free from resentment, free from bitterness. These things that control us 
Paul refers to as the law of sin and death. And the only way that you and I can get over them is to have a stronger power to break that law. Think of it like this. Think of that law of sin and death like the law of gravity, which basically states that anything heavier than air is going to fall. So how does a plane overcome gravity? Because there is a greater law than the law of gravity. The law of aerodynamics that says if you go at a certain speed, at a certain angle, guess what? You will have liftoff. So too, spiritually speaking, there is God's power in you that breaks the law of sin and death, that holds us to the ground, that causes us to feel stuck. And so what I am saying is this, you can change. You can't change on your own, but you can change as a result of the power of God that is in you. Take a look at Romans chapter eight, verse two. The law of Moses, that's the 10 commandments, could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He's saying that what Jesus did on the cross didn't just break the penalty of sin, it broke the power of sin. I'm not just forgiven, folks. I'm free, free to live the lifestyle that God wants me to live that I wanna live. Take a look at Romans 8, 5 and 6. Those dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please God. If the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. And we want that, don't we? We sure need a lot of that. Do you realize that most people don't know what controls them? They think it's outside things. Not at all. They think it's drug, sex, and rock and roll, as I like to say. No. What controls them is what they think about. If they think a lot about sex, then it's sex that controls them. If they think a lot about money, then it's money that controls them. If they think a lot about what other people might be thinking of them, then it's other people that control them. And God comes along and he says, I don't want you to be controlled by anything else other than me. And I want you to think about those things that are above because that is where life and peace is at. When I am mastered by Christ, I have no condemnation, I'm forgiven. I have no domination, I am set free. And then the third thing that Paul mentions is I have no termination. I'm going to live forever. Death is not the end of you. Now folks, it's true that one day your heart and my heart is going to stop but it's not going to be the end of you or of me. You and I were designed by God. We were made to last forever. And people are going to live either with God or they're gonna live without God. 
But regardless, people are going to live. This isn't the end of the story. As I like to describe life, life is, has two sides. It's like a vinyl record that I'm finding is coming back. My grandson asked me to buy him a vinyl record of Metallica. Okay. There's side A and there's side B. And death is the transition from one side to the next. And for those who have Christ, they're going to live, with, live forever with, with God. Where there is no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness, no pain. And that gives hope. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you so that just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by this same spirit. Just as Jesus rose on Easter, God's gonna resurrect you with a new body. How cool is that? I mean, if you think your, your body is sexy now, I'm telling you. Wait till you get resurrected and you have a new body that looks like mine is right now because I'm too sexy for my body, okay? I mean, how cool is that? Regardless of the problems that you are having with your body right now, folks, you're only on side A of eternity. There is side B. This isn't all that there is. And I have seen the difference that this makes in people because I have been to more funerals than you can shake a stick at. And I've looked into people's eyes and I've seen those who have no hope and I've seen those who have hope. And those who have no hope, there is a terror in their eyes because they're thinking, I'll never see them again. Compared to those who do have hope. And those who do, they grieve. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But they know they're going to see them again. The fact is, in Christ, I can live a life without condemnation, without domination, without termination. The fourth thing, the fourth reason that we don't have to be hopeless in this world is that I am able to live a life without limitations. I'm going to share in God's glory. I'm going to have the unlimited resources and unlimited access to God's resources. If you were the son or daughter of Elon Musk, my guess is on his demise, you will inherit a quite a large, quite large inheritance. Well, your father in heaven is wealthier than Elon Musk. And he's got a huge inheritance for you. Take a look at Romans 8, 16 and 17. God's spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. Everything that God has given to Jesus Christ, he's given to you. And it's limitless. In heaven, you will have unlimited access to the unlimited resources of God. Now, any parent who has half a brain 
would want to know that their child is going to be responsible for the big inheritance that they're going to get. And so what does a parent do? That parent tests their child with smaller things to see if they're responsible with the bigger things. I've built a phrase around this called, do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going. Parents who have half a brain give it in small amounts before they give the big amount. Well, the same is true with our heavenly father. He is testing you and I through this thing called life. God is testing you to see what you're going to do with what he's given you. And I think we would all say that God has blessed us. As pastors like to summarize this life in the way of blessings in time, talent, and treasures. And if you do well with your time and your talents and your treasures, with the life that he's given you, guess what? He will give you more. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And being faithful in a little will mean that you'll be faithful in much. And life is a test. God tests us with our time and our talents and our treasures. And oftentimes that testing comes through pain and problems and pressures of life. So let me ask you this question. What do you do? How do you respond to the pain and problems and pressures of life when they come on you? Do you complain? Do you quit? Or do you take it to God? I don't know about you. I don't know if you know this or not. But some religions teach that pain is an illusion. Did you know that? It's not. Pain is real. I've been in the room just after a mother has delivered a stillborn baby. And seeing those parents hold that stillborn baby in their arms. And I can tell you this, pain is real. I've gone to the home of parents who have lost a young child due to an accident. And the pain, that pain that they're experiencing is real. I have sat in the room in a counseling session where I've heard a woman share her story and how she was raped as a young teenager. That pain is real. Evil is real in our world. The Bible teaches that on this side of eternity, we're going to suffer. But on the other side, it says this. Take a look at Romans 8, 17. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will, he will give us later. And that glory is unlimited. And this gives us hope. Because we know that what we're going through right now is short term compared to what is in the future. Not only do I have a life without limitation, Paul says, but I have a life without miscalculation. In other words, I have a purpose regardless of what comes in my life. In these past several weeks, I've visited two of our members who have passed away. One was a 33-year-old young physician's assistant and a 95-year-old grandpa. 
while they were living and I visited with them, I says, God's not done with you yet. God still has a purpose for your life. And I'm sorry for what you're going through. But use what you've got left to make a difference in your families. Life is without miscalculation. Now, I don't know about you, but I make a lot of mistakes in life. And there's been a lot of mistakes that have been made against me. But here's the deal. Everything is father-filtered, meaning that there's no miscalculations whatsoever. Take a look at Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. There's no miscalculation. Everything has been filtered by the Father. And what does that mean that everything is Father filtered? Simply this, that there is no plan B for your life. You're still on plan A. Even with all the mistakes I've made, Pastor George, absolutely. Even with all the mistakes that have been made against me, absolutely. In spite of the divorce I went through, absolutely. Even with the loss that I have suffered in my family, yes. God says, I know it was coming. I didn't cause it, but I knew it was coming. And I've worked it all in together, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to give you only plan A. The Bible has lots of examples of this. One that is pertinent to us right now, with the season that we are entering into is the lineage of Jesus out of Matthew chapter one. If you read Matthew chapter one, that boring lineage, did the pastor just say that the Bible was boring? Yes, I did. I'm being honest with you, okay? There's some parts, gee whiz, I, what? But if you read this lineage, you will notice that there are four women mentioned in it. Tamar, who was raped by her half-brother, Absalom. She's in Jesus' family tree. Rahab, who was a prostitute, who became a godly woman. She is in Jesus' family tree. Ruth, who was a Moabite, not Jewish, married to a Jewish man, illegally. She is in Jesus' family tree. And then Bathsheba, we all know Bathsheba's story, right? She's in Jesus' family tree. Why are these four women in that lineage? Because God brings good out of bad. God says to the broken hearts of these women, I'm going to put you into my family tree to bring the savior of the world to this planet. And so... What problems are you facing right now that you think is thwarting the purpose of God that he has for you? God is bigger than your problem. He is bigger than your sin. He is bigger than your flops, failures, and fumbles. God says, I'm gonna weave all the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life, and I'm going to bring good out of it. What is part of that good? Paul mentions it in Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance. 
And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. God wanted a family. And so he says, I'm gonna help you through the circumstances of life to grow up to be like your older brother. And there is a process for that to happen. And oftentimes, as we're experiencing the pain and the problems and the pressures of life with our time and our talents and our treasures, we don't even know what to say to God about these things. And yet God's answered that as well. Take a look at Romans 8, 26. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and groans. Is it any wonder that we as followers of Christ are the most hopeful? There's no condemnation, there's no domination, there's no termination, there's no limitation, there's no miscalculation. And then the sixth thing, It's possible to live a life without intimidation. In other words, I don't have to fear anything. And fear is a hope killer. Look at Romans 8, 31. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? What Paul is saying in my vernacular is this. One plus God equals a majority. When God is near, you and I can lose our fears because Paul makes it very clear that God isn't just with you, he's for you. He is always for his kids. Now, fear is a universal problem. I think we would all admit that, wouldn't we? In fact, psychologists have identified over 645 fears which means that every one of us in this room has a fear. And yet God comes along and he says, you can live a life without intimidation. I'm inside of you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter what might happen to you in life and it doesn't matter what people might say to you in life. You can live without intimidation. Take a look at Romans 8.33. Who can accuse the people, uh, the, the people God has chosen No one, because God is the one who makes them right. When someone accuses you of your past, you know what you need to tell them? I am a trophy of God's grace. When Satan comes along and reminds you of something that you did or are doing, you can remind him of his future. Just say, hey, I win, you lose. When someone comes and puts you down and tells you that you're a jerk, Just say to them, you know what? I like me and God likes me. And if you don't like me, you're the one that's got the problems, okay? You and I can live with confidence because the Bible says that God is for us. So let me ask you this. What fear is consuming you right now? A financial fear? A relational fear? A career fear? We all have fears. One that always comes to the forefront of my mind is when I, when I would be on mission trips with Dennis Tolleson, Pastor Dennis, and we'd be in a third world country in a car. Do you know they have no laws when it comes to traffic? 
I, I get in the car, I always sit behind the driver because I thought he's going to protect himself, okay, and I'd be second in line, okay? I'd be, oh God. And God would always remind me, George, you are indestructible until it is your time. I am on your side. I love this verse out of the message. Romans 8, 37. None of this, none of these fears phases us because Jesus loves us. I live without condemnation. I live without domination. I live without termination. I live without limitation. I live without miscalculation. I live without intimidation. And then I can live without deprivation. I never need to worry. It is a Philippians 4.19 thing that God will supply all your needs according to to Christ Jesus, the physical needs, the emotional needs, the financial needs, the, the, the uh, career needs, no deprivation. Follow Paul's logic here in Romans eight thirty two. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? If God loved you and me enough to meet our biggest problem, our sin problem that kept us out of his presence, don't you think that God will meet all your other needs, your bills, the things that you desire for your kids, your marriage, your work? Of course he will. I've always struggled with this, of people who can trust God to get them to heaven but can't trust God for their time and their talents and their treasures and the pain and the pressure and the problems that they're going through. It just never made sense to me because God is on our side. No worries, no deprivation. And then finally, there's a life of no separation. I will always be loved by God. If you grasp this, I guarantee you this will change your life. Romans 8, 38 through 39. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. Angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God <clears throat> that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you put your hand in God's hand, he never lets go. You may let go, but God never lets go. Once you are born into God's family, you cannot be unborn. Once your name is written in the book of life, God doesn't have a big eraser in heaven where he erases it. No, you are eternally secure, no matter what your doubts may be, no matter what you may face in life, no matter how you feel. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Of God. Now, what I just shared with you is called the gospel. It's the good news. 
And it answers the question, why we are to be the most hopeful people. And God says this, life point. I want you to share this with the next generation. Because this is what our church is about. Sharing Jesus and building believers on a mission to reach the next generation. Let's stand up and let's pray. Lord, we come before you today and we are grateful, God, for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. We, God, as a, as a nation, observe this day called Thanksgiving. And God, you have blessed us bountifully. We have more blessings than we can even sit down and write out on a piece of paper. And God, those that we oftentimes overlook and miss are those things that you have declared to us through your word, the gospel, the good news, that give us hope for the world that we live in, the things that we're experiencing on this side of eternity. And we thank you, God, for that eternal hope that springs up again and again and again within us through your Holy Spirit that you've put in us, that we might live a different lifestyle, God, that we might be something different that attracts people to you. And God, I pray for our church. I pray for us, God. Would you open the eyes of us that we might see you more clearly and we might see what you've given us and that we might brag about you so that we can reach the next generation, God, for Jesus Christ. So God, help us. We lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen.